it was just really interesting to see one of my comics actually have like direct international reach um, and spur like a bunch of conversations about things that the comic had nothing to do with. All right, let's do this. How about that weather, New York City? It is hot and humid. Why do we always talk about the weather? This might as well be a weather podcast. I just want to do the whole intro in my newscaster voice because it's fun. Garbage puddles tonight at 11. You know, I'm not even kidding. We recorded Reza's interview a week ago, and I'm pretty sure the first thing that we talk about is the weather. I mean, it's just a really good icebreaker. First, socially inept conversationalists. It's true. Speaking of garbage piles and purple trash, uh, that's a pretty good metaphor for life, huh? That's the most depressing thing I've heard all week. All right, well, welcome to episode 17 of Writers Who Don't Write. Should we talk about that? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, let's just go to the show. Let's completely ignore it. Uh, So who do we got on the show this week? This week we have Reza Farzmand. And what's he going to talk to us about? Uh, he's going to talk to us about going from you know doing poorly drawn lines for fun to making it a full time career, developing an audience, uh, plagiarism in the cartoon world, which, by the way, is fucking ridiculous. Uh, but also um, taking that first step to going to like a full length graphic novel as opposed to just like a one comic strip. Let's get into it. So welcome, Reza. How are you? you. How's the weather out there? The weather is actually really nice here. Yeah, he's in San Francisco, and we're all in New York. So um, we can see the sunlight on your face right now. I'm super jealous. Yeah, a little bit jealous. Feel it. Yeah, it's nice. So hey, let's start off with how you got to now. Um, Tell us a little bit about what poorly drawn lines is and what it means to you, and then you know how you got there. Because I I know that you initially thought that you wanted to be a writer, and now. you're still writing a lot, but you're doing a lot more than that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started the comic while I was in college um, as like a weekly strip for my school newspaper. And then pretty shortly after that, I started putting it online. Uh, my friend built me my first website and then it went online. Um, and it started attracting more and more traffic while I was still in school. And so uh, once I graduated, I just kind of kept doing it as a passion project um, while I was working full time in L.A. And after a few years, it was just making enough money that I decided to kind of go for it. So um, I had like about six months savings in the bank and decided to quit and see if I could make a go of it in that six months and ended up working out. And uh, yeah. And then so for about three years now, I've been doing it full time Um, and the comic like I said, started as a passion project, and now it's pretty much my whole professional life. So it's kind of interesting to see how those things can can blow up and, and take over a lot more of your life than you expected them to. So at what point did you make the transition from you know writing to mm-hmm. comics? So it never got to the point where I was like fully writing in a professional sense, like the kind of stuff that I would want to be writing. Um, when I graduated from school... Well, to backtrack, when I was in college, I wrote for my school newspaper. I was news editor and was all about news writing and thought that I wanted to be a journalist. Um, And then when I graduated, I started writing like movie reviews and lifestyle pieces for a few different blogs. And all that while I was drawing the comic. And it just so happened that the comic 
started attracting more attention and more money-making opportunities before the writing did. So that just kind of became my focus. Um, and then comicing or cartooning also like offers another kind of layer of writing um, that just straight writing doesn't. So I really liked the art aspect as well and drawing pictures and telling stories through writing and pictures. So tell at what point did you like realize that you hit this critical mass? Like what was your uh, getting into the weeds if you can talk mm-hmm. about it? What was your actual like what were the traffic numbers like? Where was the money coming from? Um, you know, how did you uh, kind of monetize this and market it? So I guess when I first realized that I could make a go of it as a web cartoonist is when I had a couple of comics front page on Reddit that sent like a huge traffic spike to my site and a whole bunch of new readers. And this was back in about 2010. Um, And I just saw what that spike meant for my ad dollars on those like couple of weeks where that was happening. And I, I realized that if I kept that kind of level of work up consistently that I could really make a career out of this. Um, so I guess when I started seeing like, like in the millions of page views, that's when I knew that it could really be sustainable. Um, was that a cool feeling when you like finally hit that number? It was very cool. And it was really surprising. Um, like the first couple of times that it happened because it seemed like it just, what the great thing about the internet is that you can sort of blow up overnight in a sense. Um, so those couple of front page links on Reddit, like just gave me a ton of attention and a lot more confidence to like pursue this and to put more of my personal time into it. The the comics that I expose myself to are like, you know, the Marvel and DC universe. And then also, you know, the Robert Kirkman comics and some graphic novels that I've been getting into lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, talk to us a little bit about what that web comic world looks like, you know, uh, when we had Matt Lubchansky on the show, who is a big you know web cartoonist, uh, he told us that um, you know it's not necessarily a renaissance, and that it's been going on for a lot longer than uh, you know than we think. Um, yeah. So, is that something that you like grew up on? Is it new to yeah. you? So, I I've been reading web comics since about two thousand five or two thousand six, um, and when I started reading them. It was like XKCD was the king already and it was huge and Perry Bible Fellowship was like one of the biggest ones. So it was – there were those guys who I really idolized like Perry Bible, um, XKCD, Saturday Morning Breakfast Serial, uh, Dinosaur Comics. Um, A lot of the comics that are associated with the Topatico label or – I'm not really sure if I'm pronouncing it right but like – like Dinosaur Comics and Mm -hmm. uh, Pictures for Sad Children, Um, Kate Beaton's work. Um, so yeah, there's been, it's, it seems like it's blowing up now and becoming like really visible, but do you you think that has anything to do with just like the, the easier way that people can read these mediums? Yeah. I think that comics are just like designed so perfectly for the internet. Um, and they fit on like every device squarely. Like, uh, it's, it's great to read them on a phone or, uh, you know, on your laptop or wherever, and you can read them on the go and they just, they just fit and work with uh, screens really well. So it's no surprise that like comics transition from newspapers to digital really easily. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, li- I like that you used the word renaissance before because it's like, it's crazy just how many 
comics are continuing to come out every day and uh and like gain a new audience i mean it's it's it is wild and it's you know for every yeah. one that you hear about that's successful there's a hundred more that you know are not they don't they never oh, have that sure. commercial viability um but i guess uh well can, can can you talk a little bit towards like how you actually marketed your comic to you know expand your audience like you mentioned reddit but you're also you have a huge presence on facebook on instagram on tumblr um you know even twitter which doesn't yeah. really lend itself to comics. Yeah, so I've just always kept an open mind with these new, with social media outlets, um, and pretty much try to embrace them as they like grow. So Instagram was the latest one that I've gotten on. Um, and as far as marketing goes, really all I've done is put my work on these sites, um, and then the work just kind of markets itself. Mm -hmm. um, like on Facebook, there's that whole feedback loop where you put something up and then one of your fans likes it and their their friend sees it in their Facebook feed and then you have a new follower. Um, so these sites lend themselves to marketing just through putting your work up. Um, and Reddit is the same way. Uh, so if you can just get people coming back to your site and reading your comic, um, then, I don't know, the work just kind of kind of does the rest for you. Are there, but, uh, are there any new sites for like app junkies out there that they should be checking out for comics? Um, Instagram is the biggest one that I know a lot of cartoonists are getting on recently. Um, and I don't know what it is. It just Instagram, like it fits that webcomic format perfectly, especially like the four panel format. It just works there really well. So I know that a lot of my cartoonist friends have been jumping on Instagram recently and seeing a lot of success there. Um, I saw, I, I gained like 130,000 followers in like a year. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Um, and I don't know what it is. Again, it's just people click on it, like they click like, and then it shows up for their friends and then you gain new followers that way. And, um, I guess the biggest key to that is just consistently putting out new work and keeping people interested with whatever app you're using or whatever social media platform you're using. Um, it, so I've also seen your work pop up on places like BuzzFeed, uh, mm -hmm. and I think when I was clicking through, you know, some of the research we were doing, I saw one post that they had gathered your work in. Do you, how, what does something like that look like for you when they're posting your actual comics, but not links, not the links on Twitter, or they're not embedding tweets and things like that? How does that arrangement work out? Um, well, for the most case with bigger sites like BuzzFeed, they're, they're good about crediting. So there will be a link back to my site somewhere there or a link back to the original image. Um, so I, you know, I guess in general, it's kind of a, a love hate relationship with aggregate sites for any web artist. Like there are a lot of pros to having your work freely distributable by anybody. And then there are some cons and that there are sites that might try to take advantage of that. But then the bigger sites like BuzzFeed have pretty much figured it out by now as far as how to credit artists properly. Um, do you have to deal a lot with people posting your work uncredited? Yeah, definitely. Like I recently had, was dealing this, with this thing where there was this Instagram account called, I, I, I'm not even going to advertise them, but it, it basically was like a play on poorly drawn lines and they were just reposting all of my work and they had like over a hundred thousand followers, uh, and weren't giving me any credit. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was like the only time I've ever directly gone and done like the whole copyright infringement process. How does that work? Like, what do you do? Is there like copyright police that you research? Yeah. 
again, like with a lot of these big sites, they've figured it out now and they make it pretty easy for an artist to report these things mm-hmm. um, because they have a lot of incentive to keep content creators happy. Um, but then I've, there are, I don't know, there are other sites where it's just not worth it sometimes. Like there, there are a ton of comedy aggregate sites that just pull like your entire site and upload it to their forums. And, uh, I don't know, you can't go over after every single one. And sometimes you just have to accept that your work is going to be out there without you knowing about it. Do you think that that's kind of like a, a nod to, uh, you know, the quality of your work though? I mean, it sucks. It's plagiarism, but you know, at, at a certain point where you just like, it's kind of cool that people want to steal my stuff. It is cool. And, you know, I've been doing web comics for like almost 10 years now. So I am like have pretty much fully embraced what the Internet is in that sense. There are a lot of opportunities as an artist to establish yourself and grow an audience. But with that, with those opportunities come opportunities for other people to profit off of your work. So it's like a fine line. And uh, I I would say the benefits far outweigh the cons. So, Um, yeah. There was something that happened this past April Fool's Day uh, mm-hmm. that was initially confusing at first for a lot of people. but And I don't even know if it's been fully explained yet, but it became apparent what was happening. Uh, are you allowed to talk about that? Because it seems like people are being pretty tight-lipped, maybe? Um, basically, what happened is everybody plagiarized me. Um, <laughs> so it was, I drew this comic, and then everybody just copied it all at once. And it was really, it was a traumatic incident for me. Um, no, but it, it, it uh, see, this, this I, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was def it was an orchestrated prank. Um, and there are like some web cartoonist secret chat groups that we have where we, we came up with that. And, um, that must so be the pretty, snarkiest chat group of all time. It, it is pretty snarky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it's it's really cool there to like just be able to chat with cartoonists and, and come up with these sort of pranks. Um, so, yeah, that was a really fun one. And uh, there were a bunch of cartoonists outside of the initial plan who also got in on it and followed up and did their own versions. Um, I saw somebody doing one of those follow up comics as recently as like a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was cool. Um, hopefully we'll do something like, like that again next year. Wait, so I'm actually not familiar with this. Can you like, you know, get into the details on this? You you did a com- uh you created a comic and then um all of your friends stole it and no, pretended no. that it was a plagiarism thing and that was a 4th of July or uh, April, April Fools April thing. Fools. Um I didn't create the original comic. I was okay. just trying to play along with the uh, Oh, okay, I get it. I get like, it. Um and so we it was one cartoonist Alex Norris of uh Doris McComics came up with this cartoon. Um, this very simple April Fool's prank. And we were like, okay, well, let's all redraw this and uh, and then all accuse each other of plagiarism and stealing ideas. Because, And the, the, the joke was on the fact that there are instances of artists coming up with the same cartoon. Like, we're all drawing, like, dozens of comics a month. At some point, there's going to be a little bit of overlap in themes. Um, so it was kind of playing on that. And uh, and then we all playfully accused each other of plagiarism. Was there anybody who took it seriously as, like, the news media has a tendency to do sometimes with pranks? Like, did anybody call you for comment on an article about comic plagiarism? No, no. Uh, people figured it out pretty quickly. Like, when there were 
like 30 of the exact same comic <laughs> up um, on uh, people figured it out and they were like, okay, they're playing some kind of prank on us. But I did have a few concerned comments when I initially posted my comic being like, Oh, the awkward Yeti did this exact thing. Like, Oh, you totally ripped off this guy. Uh, um, and we all just kind of went along with it and we were like, no, no, he ripped off me. <laughs> What's the craziest thing you've had to deal with, uh, like legitimately in relation to publishing one of the comics that you've done? One of the comics, um, any of them, well, say of them. The, so far still like the coolest thing that's happened is I drew this comic called tiny hippo years ago. Um, and it was about this little hippo with a train whose train gets stolen by a raven and then he like tracks down the raven and like shanks him at the end and takes it back so it was drawn as like a, a children's story and it was all like innocent until like the very last panel basically um and then a lot of people in korea and japan got super into this comic and kind of I, there was some korean group that was using it as like an allegory for the relationship between japan and korea and there were like a ton of highly politicized comments in the comment section of my website. And I had to like close the comment section and it was all in Korean and Japanese. And I like couldn't read any of it, but people were telling me that there was like a lot of shit talking going on. Um, and, like harsh words <laughs> being exchanged and like a little bit of racism starting to come out. So I closed the comment section and I was like, all right, you guys, this is uh, we, everyone needs to chill out. But it was, it was just really interesting to see one of my comics actually have like, direct international reach um, and spur like a bunch of conversations about things that the comic had nothing to do with. Uh, and also a ton of cool fan art came out of it from Korea and Japan. Um, so that was, so far that was like the biggest um, sort of, I don't know, out of left field incident that I can think of happening with one of my comics. That's amazing. So talk to us a little bit about um, something that I've noticed with your work where you kind of like now have recurring characters and maybe I just noticed this because I, you know, just finished the book, but um, you have a lot of recurring characters in your comics, but you also have, you know, a bunch of different threads going all at once. And it seems kind of random the way that you release each of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, like talk to us about like, uh, I mean, do these characters have specific traits that you make sure to like maintain throughout or is it just kind of like, you know, you write what you feel like when you feel like the, the recurring characters, I've definitely tried to build up their personalities. So, um, like the, the most often recurring characters are Ernesto and Kevin, uh, the green bear and the blue duck. Uh, and so they definitely have personalities at this point, Mm -hmm. um, which was kind of what I was trying to do when I started introducing recurring characters was, write a character over multiple strips who would sort of develop these personality traits and um, sort of inhabit more of a, I don't know, like like a real character than just like a one-off character like I was used to doing. Um, so yeah, they definitely do. I try to instill personality in them. Um, but then the non-recurring character comics are definitely, for the most part, just whatever I feel like writing. Uh, whatever situation and I try to keep it as like loose and flexible as possible so that I can kind of write and draw whatever um, you know strikes me that day now something else I noticed with all of your comics is that they're like just super weird Um, (laughs) I mean I like don't know many writers regardless of the medium that they're writing in 
that have, you know, ideas that come from so many various places or so, so like, you know, divergent places. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you come up with these? Is that just the way your brain works? Yeah. You know, I've, I've been asked this question a bunch of times, like, where do you get your ideas from? And it's, it's never gets easier to answer it because it definitely feels like it's just how my brain works. Um, and I, I just, I guess I've consumed a lot of media over my life, like a lot of books and a lot of movies and music. And, uh, there's, I guess there's just a bunch of different stimuli going on at the same time. And it produces these ideas somewhere along the way. Um, you mentioned in the super helpful press release uh, that one of your influences was Kurt Vonnegut. And yes. I think it's it's easier now that you mention it to see that connection in your work. Is there, <laughs> like, which... I'm a big Kurt Vonnegut fan also. Um, mm-hmm. Which one of his books would you say you look to most for inspiration, or is there, like, something from his essay collection that you read over and over again when you're looking for ideas? I guess I just look more to his, um, his general worldview, um... it's always felt to me like Vonnegut never really directly commented on a lot of social or political issues. He more did like uh, general, like absurd situations that sort of commented at large on what he was trying to address. Um, And so that's sort of where I try to go with my work. I don't, I don't necessarily call out um, specific events or, or um, I don't know, personalities or anything i just i do generalized like absurd satire now, so are you, are you saying that ernesto the bear is a satire of the modern american uh male psyche is i think that, that would be, tell me right now i think that would be a pretty good uh analysis yeah <laughs> do, do you ever or, or the modern american bear psyche i'm not bear, sure bear psyche yes yeah do you but ever I'm more familiar with humans than bears as far as like friends and people go so i don't know ernesto seems pretty well-rounded yeah what What so do you do you ever feel inclined to comment on what's happening you know like we're in a pretty weird state in in america right now yeah i mean do you ever think that you could use your reach to you know help (laughs) uh (laughs) yeah I, I I think about it sometimes, but I would never turn poorly drawn lines into a political comic mm-hmm. um, because, like I said, I would rather comment on like social trends and situations at large and try to kind of pinpoint some of the ironies of like life and, and modern existence rather than um, rather than like directly be like, oh, Donald Trump joke. Um, I would rather like do I don't know kind of take a step back and look at the bigger picture is what I try yeah to do. you you want to have something as like as stuff or anything but yeah well I mean you want something that's still going to be relevant ten or twenty years from now um, yes I guess the question is though you know you just had a book out and you did the press tour and you know I'm sure you had some media events and everything and I'm sure you know coming from this world myself that your pub your publicist and your publishing house probably asked you to do some kind of commentary on the news of the day um, in some form or another. And maybe they didn't. Maybe they just realized that that's not mm-hmm. something you were going to do. No, they didn't, actually. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Jeff just put on his publicist hat, and he's uh, he, the wheels are turning. I can see it in the studio. Yeah. Uh, maybe there was um, – I don't know. Maybe my stuff is just too, like, 
weird <laughs> to like merit um, them asking <laughs> me to comment on like I don't know the presidential race or anything like that. But I actually wasn't aware that that was um, that was something that was usually expected of. Well, I, I mean, it's mostly with like nonfiction authors. They call it newsjacking. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different na- words term. for it, but um, newsjacking is one of them. Um, n- you know, news of the day, trends, that kind of thing. But uh-huh. I, I mean, hey. I, if anybody's going to comment on you know Donald Trump in the election right now, I'd rather it be a giant talking bear that can go to space. Than... I, yeah, I would be I would be interested in what you had to say about it. Uh, for the record, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to get too political or anything. Um, yeah. that's you know, like I said, that's not a part of what the like the poorly drawn lines, I guess, brand is. Um, uh, but yeah. you, so with the book, it seems like you did change up that brand a little bit because now, um, this is one of the first times I had seen essays from you. Um, so can yeah. you talk a little bit about what spurned that transition and whether or not you'll be writing more in the future as opposed to just drawing comics? Yeah. So that came about, um, when my editor and I were going over what the content of the book would be. Uh, the book was meant to be 50% new content. That's what we decided on. Um, and I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to produce 50% new comic content in like the six months that I had to finish it. Um, so my editor suggested um, kind of putting these short essays throughout the book to vary up the content a little bit and um, and sort of uh, fill some space where I might not be able to uh, do a cartoon. And... Short conceptual humor has been something that I've I've written like as a hobby, um, and so it came pretty easy to me to just sit down and write this. Um, and then, yeah, I, I absolutely fell in love with writing these short essays. And then um, I recently submitted a couple of pieces to McSweeney's. I was, and had I was just going to ask you about uh, that a weeks ago. Yeah, so that was they. I love McSweeney's style of humor and um, it just felt like a really good fit for my uh, like writing. So yeah, I went, I went there and uh, so I really, I do plan to do more of that style of writing um, and possibly some more long form writing. That's perfect. Yeah. It was the prose in the book was just kind of wild. And the entire time I was reading it, I was thinking like, this is a McSweeney's piece. And then I Googled Uh, you and you know, you just had a piece of McSweeney's. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) That's perfect. Uh, what yeah. other outlets do you recognize that sound kind of like that? I have that what, kind of voice. What outlets do I read? Yeah, because I don't know many others that have the same kind of voice that McSweeney's publishes. Um, I'll read like Shouts and Murmurs in The New Yorker occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I don't really pursue a lot of like literary publications. Um, and I, I, I just kind of write myself. Um, but as as far as like that short conceptual humor goes, I really think that McSweeney's is the one that's that's doing it the best right now, um, and I haven't really tried to find it anywhere else. Who or what are you reading most often? Um, I read other cartoonists quite a bit. Um, a lot of my cartoonist friends have been publishing books recently, so I've been reading like every single one of those that's come out. Um, I. Recently, I'm like turning around to look at my bookshelf right now, where I have like a, just like a stack of unread books. Um, I can tell you what's on my like stack too. Oh, tell us what's on the shelf. Maybe this will be a new podcast section. What's on your yeah. bookshelf? I actually uh, really so, like that idea. We've tried to do this so many times. 
<laughs> right. We, we've tried to do this in picture format, but like it doesn't quite work because everybody's got like like authors have really weird bookshelves. One one uh, one past guest sent us a picture of like a ladder that had been converted to a bookshelf. But what is right. on your bookshelf? Um, okay, so I've got first book up to read is Jimmy Corrigan, The Smartest Kid on Earth by Chris Ware. Um, and Chris Ware is just this amazing, prolific cartoonist um, who, if you guys aren't familiar with, you got to check him out. Um, I just love his visual style. And so I mainly picked it up to kind of get inspiration for writing longer form graphic novel, novel type stuff. Um, and his work is just like so strange and conceptual and really cool to look at. Um, so that's, that's my next read. Uh, and then I've also got, um, Patience by Daniel Klaus. Um, I went to see him in San Francisco a couple of months ago and I picked up his book and I still haven't got around to reading it. So that'll be after the Chris Ware book. Um, and then I've got Battling Boy by Paul Pope, which is like a fun little graphic novel um, about a superhero from another world, sort of like Thor, except he's a kid. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Um, Paul Pope is a really interesting uh, cartoonist. His work is pretty far out and like psychedelic and cool. Do you read novels or just cartoons? I do read novels. Um, but like the last novel I read... What did I read? Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy. Nice. So something uh, nice and light, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then before that, E.E.E. Uh, e. E. by Tao Lin. Um, and I really like Tao Lin's writing. It's, it's hilarious and, and weird and absurd. Did you say before that you were working on a graphic novel? Uh, yeah, well, I actually, that was one of the topics that I was like talking about discussing with you guys, um, is a graphic novel that I started working on years ago. That's sort of been in the pipeline for me for a while. Um, but it's, it's like such a bigger project than just writing cartoons, like in the style that I do, that it's sort of intimidating and difficult to like really sit down and make it happen. I mean, we, it seems like we've naturally, you know, it usually, I will say this, it usually doesn't happen as naturally as it just did, but it seems like we've gotten to the part where we talk about the story that you struggled to tell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was beautiful. And I thank you yeah. for it because normally I have to like, you know. Yeah. I was kind of like, should I keep going with this transition? It's kind of transitioning into that. No, it worked. Yeah. It worked perfectly. Um, yeah. So I, as you guys know, all of my work has been short form in my writing and my cartooning. Um, and so, but years ago, like before poorly drawn lines even really took off, um, like right at the end of college, I started working on this graphic novel, um, about these, uh, this brother and sister who live on an abandoned space colony in this like, uh, dystopian future. And I thought it was like just the coolest idea. And I got so excited about it and I wrote the story out and then, sat down and started doing the pages. And after like five pages, I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can actually do this because it was just so enormous and 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 like overwhelming and bigger than anything I'd ever done. And um, I kind of realized that I didn't really have the practical skills as an artist to make it happen at the time. And so now, many years later, I'm like 
revisiting those pages that I drew and kind of feeling like I might want to take another crack at it or at least like storyboarding it um, and kind of getting all the visuals out. So can you talk to us, like, talk, can you talk us through that moment when you're first starting down that path when you realize that you mm. actually might not have the skill set to do this? Like, what was that exact point? Um, so I, like I said, I did a few pages and I loved the way they were looking and I started doing the next page and then it occurred to me that I would have to do like hundreds of these and each one was taking a few days at a time. Um, and I have no formal training as an artist i'm entirely self-taught and uh is that where the name came from what poorly drawn lines yeah, yeah that was it it <laughs> used to be way way more poorly drawn like you can go back in the archive and go to the first few strips and they're basically like graphite pencil on binder paper they're horrible um but but like my artistic skill set has definitely improved a lot more since then so mm-hmm. i'm feeling more like confident like I'd be able to tackle a bigger project like that um but yeah I kind of realized while I was doing those pages that I was more into doing like I was more into just making it look really cool visually than in actually thinking about how this would become a larger story and like thinking about how much time I would actually have to put into doing each of these pages um and so yeah I just kind of went back to doing my shorter form comics and have been doing that since. Um, So as a video producer, one of the things that it's easy to understand the thinking of is like thinking in scenes. But one of the Mm -hmm. things that's always baffled me about drawing comics in particular is like how, especially with graphic novels, how do you pick what to show for each line for each moment? Like what, what's the thought process like to go through and pick how you're going to show it, the angle that you're going to show it from where everybody is in relation to each other. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I can really only tell you what I've experienced from drawing the comics for poorly drawn lines. Um, But the way that I've always kind of approached it is trying to put as little as possible into a frame. And this is just my particular art style. I know that a lot of other artists will have like very image dense frames um, and try to pack a lot of detail in. But I've always been tended more toward like stripping down the visuals to just what's needed to tell a story. So for me, it would probably be a matter of including like as little as possible and sort of having like, um, I don't know, just like a stark minimalist approach to paneling and framing, which is, which is basically what I do in poorly drawn lines anyway. You like so, the Hemingway of comics. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, it's it started out as like you can always more leave of, a panel uh, half unfinished. Yeah, it started out as like a practical necessity because, like I said, I had no formal training and couldn't draw very well, and so I couldn't actually physically do a lot of detail. So my comics, like by necessity, had to be really simple and to the point. And then. Even now, even though now I'm a much better artist than I was when I started, I that's just sort of become my style, and um, it's it's not a necessity anymore. It's just like how I think my work looks best. I agree. Uh, I also wanted to ask you about um, this this graphic novel that you're uh, you know thinking about going back to work on. Is it more of 
like a continuous story? And if so, is it kind of still, you know, like an absurdist comedy satire kind of thing? Or is it more of, you know, like a dramatization of, you know, a story that you're trying to tell? Um, I ask because all of the most successful and, in in my opinion, the most engaging comics that I read in in graphic novel form are usually ones that um, have some kind of like dramatization to the storyline. Yeah, so it would be like a dramedy, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. Comedy would, I think, will always be a part of my work, um, but I would try to. I would. It, it would absolutely involve humor and drama, like. At the same time, humor, drama, and adventure. Did Did you read the Saga <laughs> comics? I did not. Oh, you should check those out. It's uh, yeah. Fiona Apple and I think it's Brian Vaughn, um, but it's amazing. Uh, Matthew and Vaughn? Matt. No, I, I think it's Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong, and if I am, I'll correct it in the show notes. But um, they're they're unbelievable, and the they actually have I think it's the sixth volume is coming out at the end of July. Um, so you'll probably see a lot of press for it, and I absolutely recommend you checking them out. They're very quick, and it is a dramedy with adventure. I just wrote it down. Perfect. I'll check it out. Yeah, I think I, I really think that you'll love it, and if you do, let me know. Um, sure. Yeah. So can you tell us more about, b- before we jump off to another topic, can you tell us more about the story of the graphic novel? Because I'm already intrigued by the brother and sister stranded on a space station dystopian atmosphere, but can you tell us more about the story, or is that still... Uh, Well, I don't want to get too much into the details. Uh, Yeah, it's still more or less under wraps. Um, I've only really shown a few people, and it's like still very early stages, so I don't even want to like... Okay, yeah. I'm always afraid of, uh, of like jinxing a project by like talking about it too much before i uh before i actually like get a, a big chunk into it is but, that uh I was sorry, gonna say, do you get it a lot into like superstition when it comes to development or deals or stuff like that oh no i'm not a very superstitious person um i would yeah i wouldn't really consider myself superstitious at all but i guess there's, I don't know, it's more like a practical thing. Like the more that you talk about something before you've actually done it, the less likely you are to do it. Um, I, I feel that. Kind of, yes. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's an essay I've been working on for months and I've told like 20 people about it. And now, you know, I'm just that much less likely to actually finish it. Yeah. You know what I've heard is that apparently when you talk about doing something, uh, it like releases the same triggers in your brain as when you've actually accomplished that thing. So you can like get the same level of excitement out of telling somebody you're working on a novel than by actually like finishing a novel. Kyle, I'm going to go get a girlfriend in like a really well-paying <laughs> job and get married and have a ton of fun in my life. And... Uh, I'm going to be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> I identify as a I'll let you know. I'll let you know if it works, Reza. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, the other thing, well, maybe we could talk about this more. Uh, poorly Drawn Lines had a lot of comics featured in a show on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you wrote new ones for that or if they pulled from stuff that you'd already done. Can you talk to us about that show and what what it was like to work for it, how it came about, uh, and everything involved? Yeah. Um, so this was like... Just after I had started, I had gone full time with poorly drawn lines. Like I had just quit my job, and I was like, at that point where I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but we'll see. And then I got an email from a producer at Trip Tank, that show, 
um, saying that they were looking for contributors, um, that they were doing like a, this is before the show had aired, so they were doing like a short uh, kind of variety show featuring animation and they were looking for artists. Um, and they had seen my stuff. And, uh, so they asked me to submit both original and stuff for my website. So I ended up writing two new pieces and then they adapted two new, two of my existing pieces, two or three of my existing pieces. What did that look Uh, like? It, well, the process for me was just basically writing like out a really quick scene for how the new comics would look or the new uh, animated pieces would look. So for those, it was just like a quick summary of what I thought it would look like. And then the animators took those and translated them into my art style. Um, and then for the adaptations of my existing comics, they basically just animated them in sort of like a, with a new flair. It was pretty cool to see. It was like giving new life to my comics in a way I hadn't seen before. Now, logistically speaking, how do they do that? Are there like computer programs or, and also how do you create your comics? Um, so for how they did it, I'm not exactly sure because I know that they worked with an animation studio. Okay. Um, and so, I mean, the animators, I think just kind of did it from scratch, but based it on my art style. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like poorly drawn lines, but it's done by a team of animators. Um, and it was actually really neat to see because I had that was my first like uh, time seeing my work animated, um, and it was done by a professional animation crew working for, with Comedy Central, so it was rad. Um, and then for my own process, I imagine it's kind of similar, except that half of my process is like traditional style. So I start out with pencil, um, draw everything with pencil, then ink it and then scan it and then do all the coloring and edit with a uh, Wacom tablet in Photoshop. So are, are there plans for animated stuff in your future, Reza? Yeah, I'm working on, a, on some animation at the moment, uh, some plans for that. I can't get into too much detail about it. But, the superstition. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's more like I just... Uh, I have some ideas for like just animating stuff on my own um, in like a very rough fashion. And I've had the, I've had a video section on the poorly drawn lines website for since I started it. And it's said coming soon for like four years now. Um, (laughs) It's aspirational. And so, yeah, I've always like, I'm a big fan of like Brad Neely's early YouTube animations, like uh, the Washington song. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that. It's, it's actually haven't. Pretty funny stuff. Um, Brad Neely, definitely worth checking out. Um, and then he ended up doing actually an animated series on Comedy Central, I think, called China, Illinois. Um, but I, I was super inspired by his style a few years ago and was like, I could probably do something like this. Um, so I set up that video section and never ended up doing it. But um, it's definitely something that's still on my radar. I think what is interesting is the fact that you know, this medium that, you know, I assume was initially a hobby for you has become this thing that's like not only a great commercial success, but something that's affecting millions of people all across the world every day. And I think yeah. that, you know, that's something that you should be really proud of and it's super respectable. And I can't wait to see where the hell comics are ten or twenty years from now. I mean Apple oh, yeah. or maybe it was Facebook, there was some headline that like just predicted the end of words. Um wait, what? 
Yeah, it's like some. It was some dumb article. It's clickbait. It had to do with the fact that like emojis are taking over. Oh, but, so we shouldn't trust it, though. No, we shouldn't. But at the same time, like it, it the idea and like what they're trying to res to get to resonate is the fact that you know everyday human beings are turning more towards visuals. So I think it's like becoming an increasingly important medium. And now that we have the tools to actually digest them properly, I think that um, you know we and you, Reza, are in a really awesome spot. Was headline was the headline just like people like looking at stuff? A news report. <laughs> no, uh, pictures. Emojis. I wish pictures. emojis and pictures and emoticons. You know emojis and um, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up. But it's okay. Uh, we're already so far off the rails. Just take us. Just, no, no. no I, I wrote an article like down. five years ago about like uh, how people are overusing punctuation marks, and I used an example of emojis are you quoting yourself right now i am but i well it, it's <laughs> it's in reference to something else okay, I'm, okay, okay. emojis and emoticons are actually like two different things and there's like a different word for them and there's an actual article in science magazine that like studied the different responses that people had to you know like the smiley face made with like a semicolon and a parenthesis as opposed to just like an actual smiley face Anyway, I think uh, I just fell asleep. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 cut that. But uh, <laughs> but Reza, where can we find you online? You can find me at poorlydrawnlines.com. That's my main website. Um, I'm on Twitter, PDL Comics, Instagram, Poorly Drawn Lines. Uh, I'm on Tumblr, Facebook. I guess the only thing I'm not on right now, as far as cool apps, would be Snapchat. So don't look for me there. And you, you know, you, you know what you could do on Snapchat, which would be super cool, is just like uh, draw over real things. Oh wait, Re Reza, you're not on Snapchat, man. You could do so much awesome stuff on Snapchat. Really, I've had friends try to get me into it, and I don't know. I've just kind of uh, I've shied away from it. Try it out. Maybe it's the digital thing. Yeah. But if yeah, if you get yourself a stylus, man, you can you can draw all over that stuff. Hmm, cool. I'll, get, I'll I'll take a look at it. Um, and also, if you're looking for more of Reza's work, you should buy his book. It's called Poorly Drawn Lines. It was one of the uh, one of NPR's best books of 2015. Colin out. Uh, and the subtitle is Good Ideas and Amazing Stories. So check it out if you got the chance. And thank you so much for joining us, Reza. All right, that was Reza Farzbond of Poorly Drawn Lines. If you haven't seen it, go to poorlydrawnlines.com and make sure you like mash that subscribe button and check out all the social media stuff. And, you know, I mean, seriously, you're going to love it. This webcomic makes me smile every time I see it. Uh, I think you can subscribe for a newsletter right to your inbox. You but, can also follow him on Twitter. He posts like once a day. And, it's awesome. And Instagram and Facebook and, you know, wherever else social media is sold. Uh, he has a book, which you can, it's great for your coffee table. It's its awesome, seriously. Uh, but he's awesome. He would appreciate it if you followed him and subscribed and everything. We would appreciate it. You know, buy the book, show some, you know, uh, some, yeah, show some love. Uh, also, show us some love. We're at www.podcast.com. Um, or you can pull out your iPhone and open the podcast app and search for writers who don't write podcasts and mash your thumb on that subscribe button. Uh, give us a review. You know, check us out on SoundCloud, online, anywhere social media is. We're there. We appreciate it. Uh, we don't spend a penny on advertising, so we rely on you to tell all your friends about the show. Um, and a lot of you have been, you know, hitting us up on Twitter, telling us how much you like it, and texting us and stuff. So we really appreciate that. Uh, it's very cool. Some housekeeping notes. Uh, Kyle and I are taking two months off this summer. We're taking a well-earned summer break because we're worth it. 
It's true. And you're worth it too. So you all should as well. And Jeff's going to eat, pray, love, and I'm going to play Overwatch on the couch. It's uh, going to be lovely. But we have one episode left for you. It's a really powerful one and it's coming next week. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is. It's one of my favorite authors of 2015. But you are going to love it. It's you know one of my favorite episodes so far. Uh, and you can listen to that next week. Make sure you subscribe so that you hear about it and make sure you subscribe so you hear about all the episodes after it. Uh, we have some really dope guests for you lined up for September uh, and beyond. Uh, again, not going to tell you who they are, um, mostly because we haven't recorded them yet and I want to make sure that they actually come. Um, but you should definitely check them out. Uh, and I want to thank Ryan Dan of Holland Patent Public Library, who does the music at the top and the bottom of the show uh, and every other show. And you can check them out online at hollandpatentpubliclibrary.com. Uh, thank you, Reza, and everybody else. Keep smiling. <laughs>